Hey Neighbors Church, Dan and Alexis here with uh, part two of our conversation that we're having around the kingdom of God and politics. Um, Dan and I are both just blessed to be here with you, to be in your headspace. We're going to jump right into it. So the last time we recorded part one of the conversation of the kingdom of God and politics, um, we recorded that prior to the first presidential debate. Now today, it's October 1st, and <laughs> neither one of us really have words. <laughs> <laughs> that was... That's all I've got. That's, Literally, I've that's actually, all I've got. <laughs> I've actually never watched the Jerry Springer um, show, but in my mind, the presidential debate was like the Jerry, a Jerry Springer episode, um, except no one threw chairs... There was close. a, will you shut up? Yeah, that was, yeah. That I, was, wow. <laughs> I was, I really, you know, the whole thing shifted for me when I just thought, oh, yeah, I'm not watching the decorum of a presidential debate and some of the most powerful humans on the planet. Uh, I'm watching the beginnings of a back alley bar fight. And, um, yeah, I just want to see which one of these old dudes is going to throw a punch first. I actually heard one commentator say he was watching it. It was like, it was like watching the chef from the Muppets argue with <laughs> Chewbacca from Star Wars. So it was like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, you guys, you know, we're trying to laugh here trying to lighten the load uh, but that debate this political scenario that we find ourselves in all of it combined everything I mean you take the whole uh, context in which we find ourselves today and um, it's a tragedy it, it's a tragedy for uh, our country I've been listening to a lot of gray hairs lately trying to glean like have you guys ever seen it like this have you guys I mean was it like this in the war times was it like this in the Vietnam times, what, and I mean, they'll talk about the disparities of opinion and, but that they, they all to a T have said, no, we've never seen anything like this. And so it's a tragedy uh, for civil discourse. It's a tragedy for this uh, experiment that we call American democracy that we've actually had to devolve down to the point where the only way we can make sense of this is, is alluding to the most powerful leaders on the planet as the chef from Muppets and Chewbacca from Star Wars. Uh, we're, we really are. We're in some measure, uh, societally, civilly, we're, we're in real trouble. And I think that for us to put uh, our head in the sand on that is not wise. I think that's part of what's fueling the passion of these conversations is there is a lot of fear, a lot of anger, a lot of overwhelm. Uh, around these conversations. And so that's the direction that we wanted to pick up on again today in the conversation between my wife and I, because of course, we're having these conversations. We're watching the debates. We're wrestling with the issues. I'm having conversations with my 17-year-old daughter. And uh, there, there's a lot of inflammatory sense to all of this. And we do not intend these conversations to be political commentary. Uh, 
mm-hmm. on who's right or who's wrong. Um, I don't, Actually, please don't ask us for oh, that. <laughs> yeah, neither one of us are qualified. Neither one of us have political science degrees. Um, the complexities and the nuances of these arguments and what the history of this situation, what actually got us into this political situation, it's very complicated. And if anybody is offering you right, can I just, can I exhort you? If anybody's offering you right now, this is real black and white. This is easy. Here's the answer. Um, boy, I just, I would suggest to you that that person doesn't know what they're talking about. So what we want to actually focus on is the pastoring of our hearts through this time. This is where everything devolves, or I suppose evolves, Mm -hmm. in our conversations around our family table, is we move eventually from the political discourse to how is Jesus the chief shepherd pastoring our hearts, and what heart posture is he creating in this time, and what are we as people of Jesus to be doing in the midst of political discourse, in the midst of conversation, in the midst of the problems that we're facing, how do we obey the chief shepherd? There's been a lot of language um, since the debates um, that we've heard from depression. Um, I'm so worn thin. I feel utterly hopeless. People are literally carrying the weight, like physically, of our political climate, like on their shoulders right now. Yeah, you know, 2016, we were all saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, it can't get worse. It can't get crazier. Yeah. And yet 2020, folks, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's almost just a sense of despair. Um, but in the upside down economy of the kingdom of Jesus, this is actually good. Those um, embodied feelings that people are having they serve as like this dashboard of lights. You know, in our car, when a light goes off, maybe it's saying you need more air in your tires or something's wrong with the engine or you need an oil change. Those lights serve to warn us, to tell us something needs to happen um, to keep things running the way they should run. Um, our feelings, in many ways, um, the are serve as warning signs for us. So if we're feeling overwhelmingly distressed or if we're struggling with depression or we feel that sense of despair. Or, or the rage is unchecked. Yeah, I've maybe there's a lot of Christians that are like crazy angry. And I'll I'll try to have a political conversation with them and it just it goes full chef from the Muppets and Chewbacca. And uh yeah. Yeah. So those feelings God uses in our lives to say, hey, 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 there's a warning here. Something's not right. You're not running correctly. And so it lets us um, see what's ruling our hearts. It brings our attention to, okay, what's happening here? What is what is my attention so fixated on? What am I priority- prioritizing? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul actually encourages the Philippian community saying, in Philippians 4, 5 through 7, let your gentleness be evident to all. Oh, man, what a word for today. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Could somebody email Vice President Biden and President Trump this verse? (laughs) (laughs) He goes on to say, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
I love it. I just realized as you were reading that, hun, that that's like a that's like a roadmap for navigating these tumultuous times. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's very clear. Paul says God is near right now. If the dashboards of your if the dashboard lights of your soul are going off, let's let's stop there and not be anxious about anything. In every situation, by prayer, next step: pray, petition, then give thanks. Let these requests be known to God, and then the peace of God is going to rule and guard your heart. And that's really the big idea that our family has been considering in these times, um, very intentionally and in a very focused way. It wasn't more than a month or so ago that I realized I had been ingesting an incredible amount of both left and right political podcast discourse, and I just found my feathers constantly ruffled. And so returning to this uh, place of peace, a non-anxious presence, has been a, a, a real key for myself and for our family. So what exactly does the peace of Christ look like in a moment like this? And how are we going to be mitigating against this? It's, it's like a tsunami of anxiety washing over us wave after wave, and it's, it's infiltrating our hearts. It's everywhere we look. There's angst. There's anger. There's division. And so just by way of quick review from our first conversation, if you didn't listen to it, there's some tidbits in there as well. Um, we emphasize there um, the, the necessity first and foremost of discerning what we're being shaped by in this moment. Are we being discipled by the scriptures, by the confessing community of Jesus? Are we opening our posture to the guidance and wisdom Mm -hmm. of the Holy Spirit and his power more than we're being shaped or discipled by the political discourse of our day. And just reminding you of that, that crazy stat that really checked my heart. American Christians spend about an hour to two hours under the teachings of scripture or in Christian community per week, and then ingest in upwards of 13 hours a day of other sources of media and content. My friends, we, we are really kidding ourselves if we don't think that's shaping us in tremendous ways. That's like, that's like our car, going back to the car analogy, our car needs to run on clean fuel. And that's basically just like taking the, the sludge of some toxic pit and dumping it into the gas tanks of our cars. It's no wonder our souls are fatigued and not running right. James K.A. Smith developed uh, this idea well by addressing how we are all becoming what we worship. We are literally becoming what we worship. That's so sobering. Every day, constantly, we are immersed in ideas and habits that are more often than not unconsciously shaping us. Mm. So there's things that we're like focused on, like I'm going to work out every day. That's like a conscious effort, you know, that we're putting our minds to. But there are so much more um, areas in our lives, attitudes and behaviors and habits that are unconsciously shaping the way we think and act. And this affects all all areas of our lives. So of course, even our politics are influenced. This is huge. Our worship determines our political posture in any given context. Mm. It determines how we interact with people. 
Um, it determines how we'll love the other, especially the one we disagree with. Uh, it determines even how we vote. Our worship determines our political posture. Yeah, we. This reminds me of a, a key phrasing that we've used for a long time now, that to discern what you're worshiping, just ask yourself, what do you war for? What are you the most worried about? And what are you weeping over? So if you find yourself raging about the political situation or raging against the political opponent that you find in front of you, um, that's a good moment for you to check. What am I worshiping? Am I worshiping the Prince of Peace? Are you in a space where the worry and the anxiety is just overwhelming you around who's going to win this election. That's a good, that's a good space to ask, who am I yielding my security to and my trust in? And weeping, what are you just devastated over the thought of? We need to be humble. Um, this does require humility and, and not allow ourselves to be deceived because the toxic environment around us shapes us. And what it's doing if we're not very careful, <clears throat> excuse me, if we're not very careful in tending to our own souls, is it creates divisions within the body of Jesus. And of all the things that Jesus taught about his followers at the pinnacle, in the top three was his teaching that the world would know him. Republicans and Democrats would know Jesus and his kingdom by our love for one another. Mm-hmm. I, we personally don't feel like this can be stated emphatically enough for the Christian believer in the church today. <clears throat> there is no place for division for the body of Christ, for followers of Jesus. There's just no place for it, especially along the lines of these broken political systems. The most important thing is our love for one another in our dinner table conversations on our politics. Now, here's where this becomes complex. This is a very nuanced moment because we divide over what we believe to be clear biblical convictions and clear biblical commands. We apply those to these political philosophies and these political strategies. And we say, the Bible says, therefore, I vote this way. If you don't vote this way, you're not obeying the Bible. Don't get me wrong. There are clear commands that are picked up by these political strategies, these political philosophies that should be obeyed by all of humanity. But the reality is, the complex and nuanced reality is that so much of the political process is in the world of what the Bible calls wisdom. It it requires great wisdom. There's not really clear commands on so many things, although, again, there are those that would argue on the left and on the right that there are very clear biblical commands about this, when in fact what is needed is more in the murky world, the murky world of wisdom. Um, And so when we're asking what is the best decision, What is the best way to organize civil life? What is the best and most efficient and most effective way to build a flourishing society? Politically speaking, political activity, political strategy, political philosophy has literally a smorgasbord, thousands of options, and each of those options are going to be complicated by sin and brokenness. Therefore, we must weigh our decisions and our activity and our vote 
with huge amounts of prayed wisdom. It's important to remember with wisdom, you guys, wisdom does not guarantee a specific outcome. So we can be prayerful and we can be considering things and weighing options. And maybe it is murky where it's like, this isn't black and white. I'm going to use wisdom, but that doesn't mean that there's a specific outcome. So even just take into consideration, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. That is wisdom. You want to train your child up in the way that he or she should go. But that doesn't necessarily mean just because you've trained up your child in the way he or she should go, that they're not going to depart from that. Uh, wisdom would guide you to do those things, but you can't guarantee the outcome of that. Hmm. So when we incorporate wisdom uh, in our perspectives, and Alexis and I like to use the word posture, in our posture, the way we posture ourselves in these political conversations, of course, there are uh, valid biblical reasons when wisdom is implemented where we can vote left or we can vote right and we can call on biblical authority to do those things because wisdom is being implemented. Now, we want to address some very like obvious ones that leap to the forefront of our mind as examples where we're really wrestling with this and how we can, how we can uh, avoid uh, dividing from one another. All right, some examples. Uh, let's start with an easy one. Uh, economic philosophy. If you go through the book of Acts, um, you could make the biblical case that uh, a more socialistic economic framework is biblical. We are to be generous. Uh, we're told in the book of Acts that they sold everything. Nobody had their own amount of wealth that they were accruing unto themselves. Uh, and so you could make the, the argument that socialism is the better political economic platform to vote into, uh, to vote into existence. Uh, but as you're traveling through the Bible, you would also note that they owned their own property and that actually the mandate of creation in Genesis 1, in Genesis 2, is for humans to go and cultivate creation. That is, you could say, in a capitalistic framework, create wealth. Um, and so you can make, with wisdom, you can make a biblical case for voting left economically or voting right economically recognizing that both of those systems filled with sinners in this world are broken. You know, wisdom would say, as we're thinking through this and as we're thinking about how we're going to vote, um, we're not voting pastors over churches. We are voting for figureheads that oversee policies that influence the whole of the country. And so wisdom... Wisdom looks at, at this scenario where we have these ad hominem arguments, that is, these emotional character attack arguments. Granted, the character of all of our political leaders is questionable, some more questionable than others. We're not defending any character moments here. We are saying wisdom, from a Christian's perspective, says, you know what? I'm not voting for a pastor, I'm voting for a political figurehead, and that political figurehead represents a ton of platform ideas and a ton of strategies. I'm voting for the platform. And so it's very important. Wisdom compels us to be informed, and we've talked about that in our last session. And so as you're being informed, uh, there are policies that will carry much greater conviction 
and uh, rightly so. Um, abortion is a huge topic in this and has been for decades now in the political discourse amongst Christians. And what we need to recognize is there are very, very complex and nuanced arguments that Christians can hold and still be able to vote left. They are 100% pro-life, but they have an understanding and an argument and a deep conviction that they can vote left while still maintaining a pro-life position. And um, that is something that you and I and the other individual, we can disagree with each other, but we need not divide over that. And that is complex. That is that, that, my friend, <laughs> that requires listening to the other person so deeply and not having a response for them so quickly and the, on, on both sides. I think the disagreement piece is huge because oftentimes we struggle with the idea that we can disagree without dividing. Most people take the attitude somewhat unintentionally that if we disagree, that means we divide over it. And there are just so too many things actually in life that we're going to disagree on and we're going to see differently. Um, as Christians, as brothers and sisters, we're going to have different points of view. We're all reading the same texts, hopefully, in the scriptures, and we all are going to still have differing perspectives. And so we just have to remember that disagreement does not mean division. And that's where we have to come back to the teachings of Jesus, where he says, by your love for one another— the world's going to know you're my disciples. And so if we can keep that at the heart of our lives and the way we um, interact with other Christians who have differing views than us, then we don't have to let our disagreements become divisions. Yeah. Yep. And it's so important. I think this conversation is now at a level where we're hitting the deep uh, moral fault lines of our soul, of creation. And um, that's why there's so much passion and energy in these conversations. And I think it behooves us to, to realize that if God, for such a time as this, has placed us in a democracy where we can exercise our vote, then I think God holds us responsible for that. I do. I think God holds us accountable, if we vote, for the way we vote and for the argument that we hold in our heart for the way in which we vote. So there you have it. Um, No easy answers, friends. Wisdom is needed, and uh, division must be fought against. Unity is key. All of these things. And we want to move this direction, uh, the conversation direction, into um, the pastoring of our hearts towards peace, because this got heavy, as do all the political conversations. Um, One of the things that is making this conversation continually heavier than it should be in the hearts of Christians in particular is the language around uh, politics right now is, is, um, it's existential. Uh, that is, the words that are being used are creating this sense of existential threat. We listened to some talks by uh, Jonathan Lehman from Nine Marks, and he really elaborated on this um, tremendously. It was very insightful that the language of the moment is of existential threat. And so we're fighting for the soul of America. That's, that's 
existential, our existence. You got to vote like your life, like your life depends upon it. As if, as if you don't vote, your life is going to end the day after the polls close. Do you see that the, the inflammatory nature of the language is creating this sense of existential threat? And what Lehman recognized uh, was that there is existential threat right now um, around some of the policies that are being talked about, around the issues that are being talked about. I mean, just briefly, uh, if you believe that life is at conception, then there's an existential threat to the unborn in this political cycle. Um, with the racial uh, injustice and unrest that we're seeing with police brutality and the language of systemic injustice, um, for a black man, um, there is the real possibility of being shot in these uh, moments of interaction with the police. There's the real existential threat to the police officer of being shot. You see there, on both sides, there is this existential threat. Uh, for, an, for, for an immigrant family, there's an existential threat. If you vote in a certain party, you could possibly be torn apart by deportation. Um, for religious liberty, there is existential threat as the sexual revolution continues to, to move around us. And on the other side of the coin, the LGBTQI community, there's an existential threat. They want equality and recognition as personhood. These are existential realities, and that fuels and inflames these conversations. But for the Christian, it's something categorically different. What we have to realize as followers of Jesus, we are not facing an existential threat. The resurrection has assured us that we have eternal life forever in the kingdom of God with King Jesus. We are not existentially threatened forever, so to speak. And so in light of that, when we just realize that, yeah, there is existential threat in the language uh, of certain communities and groups, for the Christian, no matter where you find yourself, no matter how you're going to vote, the existential threat is gone, which means that this political conversation is maybe not as big a deal as we have been making of it. This has been huge for my heart personally, that I'm just not putting the political conversation front and center any longer. It's more of a, a really loud, obnoxious bullet point in my life that just keeps cropping up everywhere I look, but I'm not letting it guide my days. I'm not letting it determine my thoughts. I'm not letting it take the course uh, of my life in a certain direction because I'm not threatened by any of this, regardless of who wins, regardless of what happens. The king is alive on the throne. And that is a key for pastoring our hearts. To truly find peace in this political moment, we need to remember very clearly the Bible reveals a God who rules all the empires of humans. He rules the empires of humans. And God is doing with these empires of humans as he wills. He is working his good in and through all of this mess that we live in. Great example of this. Psalm chapter 2. I'm going to read it from the message because I feel like Eugene Peterson just really captures the essence of, of finding peace in this moment because God rules over the empires of men. The psalmist writes, Why the big noise, nations? Why the mean plots, peoples? Earth leaders, 
push for position, demagogues and delegates meet for summit talks. The God deniers, the Messiah defiers. Let's get free of God. Cast loose from Messiah. Heaven-throned God breaks out laughing. At first, he's amused at their presumption. Then he gets good and angry. Furiously, he shuts them up. Don't you know there's a king in Zion? A coronation banquet is spread for him on the holy summit. Let me tell you what God said next. He said, you're my son, and today is your birthday. What do you want? Name it. Nations as a present? Continents as a prize? You can command them all to dance for you or throw them out with tomorrow's trash. So rebel kings, use your heads. Upstart judges, learn your lesson. Worship God in adoring embrace. Celebrate in trembling awe. Kiss Messiah. Your very lives are in danger, you know. His anger is about to explode. But if you make a run for God, you won't regret it. <laughs> Psalm 2 is this, this exposition on God's rule over all of human empire. We see it in Daniel chapter uh, Daniel chapter 4. Daniel is, is this long prophetic book, book of wisdom, actually that reveals God is in control of all the empires of men. And so there's this character, Nebuchadnezzar, and he gets he gets pretty huffy. He gets uh, pretty puffy, to say the least. He and, gets put in his place. And he, God puts him in his place, literally. Uh, well, I'll just read it for you briefly. Um, I think it's good for us just to have scriptures in our headspace during this time. Meditate on scriptures. Here's, here's Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar and his story. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar and could easily happen to any political leader in this moment that we're finding ourselves in right now. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven, This is what's decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from people and you'll live with wild animals. You'll eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. This man went insane. He was driven from his authority, his place of ruling by God who rules the empires of all men. There's this crazy moment in the prophecies of Isaiah where the pagan king Cyrus is actually commissioned to return God's people to the land. And this pagan king Cyrus, God calls him his shepherd. His, his, it's the word Messiah, Mashiach. He says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt. And of the temple, let its foundations be laid. These and the whole story arc of the Bible, loved one, show that this moment is not nearly as chaotic from the perspective of God as we are experiencing it in our souls. God is on the throne. God is aware. God is not scared. God is not concerned. God is not anxious about any of this. And so we have to ask ourselves, what are we to do? When it all boils down, here's where I've landed. We are to be still and know that he is God. I hope this doesn't sound trite to you. Psalm 46, he says, in the midst of all this tumult and political conversation, he says, 
be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, among Republicans, among Democrats. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I have found myself intentionally moving into embodied stillness whenever I start thinking about politics. I have been practicing in times of listening to podcasts on politics. Afterwards, I just retreat to my garage. I throw in my earplugs. I put on my gun muffs and I enter the silence. And I am still knowing that God is over all of this and he is going to be and is being exalted above the kingdoms of men. And I am his son. And friends, let's not diminish prayer. There is true effect and weight in our prayers, in the words that we speak, in the petitions that we put before our Father. More than ever, we need to be praying for our elected officials, even if they aren't the ones that we wanted put in office. We have got to be praying. Additionally, we need to recognize that there are powers and principalities at work that are beyond any human or political system or political party. Our weapons as Christians are not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And then I just would love to bring you guys back to what we closed with in the first conversation. I want to bring us back to Matthew 24, where we ended with the admonition to stay calm during this season. We are a non-anxious presence. Second, stay faithful. There's so much right now uh, vying for our worship. There are loud voices screaming to get our attention. Stay faithful. And then lastly, preach on. Friends, more than ever, this world needs to hear the truth that they are loved that there is a king that is on the throne that sits above all political parties. He rules and he wants their hearts. And so as Christians, let's preach on, let's care for the marginalized. Let's love our neighbors. Let's pray for the people that we interact with in grocery stores and let's bring in the outsider. Shalom, friends.